HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm in Vermont, a producer of award-winning handmade cheese from goat and cow milk. For more information, visit considerbardwellfarm.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd. It's the monthly book review show, our last Friday afternoon show. We're moving to Mondays at 2 on heritageradionetwork.org. This week, I'm welcoming Gordon Edgar. Gordon, are you there? I'm here. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Great. Uh, So I want to tell the listeners that Gordon is the author of Cheesemonger, A Life on the Wedge, and a longtime cheesemonger and cheese buyer at San Francisco's Rainbow Grocery Collective. So how you doing? Good, good. I'm just sitting around here trying to figure out where one of my orders is today, but besides that, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Okay, okay. How's the weather in San Francisco? <laughs> um, it is actually still really warm here. Um, ah. it's, it's kind of unbelievably still warm. We had like a cold day, and then it got warm again. Oh, we're finally... <laughs> Not so great for the cheese, you know. Right, we're finally... I was trying to explain to people that, you know, they, all, the, all the East Coast vendors try to sell us, uh, you know, uh, Alpine cheese this time of year, uh, like in September, early October, and I'm like, this is our summer. <laughs> <laughs> sell me mozzarella. <laughs> You're still barbecuing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay, well, today I want to talk about your book, um... How did you decide to write this book? Well, you know, it's kind of a, um, <clears throat> a long process. I, um, back in probably about 2002, um, I, had a, I had a blog. And it was just like a personal blog. I, um, I uh, just kind of wrote whatever, whatever came into my mind. I, I think the first entry, I'm, I'm pretty sure, was about um, how weird it is when you're on public transit and, and the person next to you is reading porn. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, <laughs> you know, just little observations, things like that. Um, and then as I, um, as, uh, you know, I kind of wrote more and, and more people found my blog, 
and people realized I worked in cheese, um, people started being obsessed with the um, the, the cheese entries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there wasn't a lot back in back in the early two thousands. There wasn't a lot of people on the internet talking about cheese, right? Um, and certainly not many with with um, you know kind of professional level information. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, at one point I um, I put it out there. I'm like, oh well, you know, ask me your cheese questions. And um and I got so many cheese questions uh, in like a half hour that I had like over a hundred that I was just like okay I'm just gonna pretend I didn't do that <laughs> I didn't have the time to answer all those questions but what I realized was that uh, that there was like a real demand there for people to have kind of demystified information mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. cheese in an accessible manner mm-hmm. and, um, and that that was a real need for people. Now was your blog um, also feeling free to be political? Oh yeah, no, it was um yeah, it was uh <laughs> you know, it had everything in my life. I mean okay. I you know, my, my current, you know, website, you know, I, I definitely write about cheese sometimes, although I, I don't think I have for the last month or so. But um, you know, that I, that's pretty much cheese focused. Mm-hmm. But um, back then it was just whatever came to mind and, and back then on the internet, you know, things weren't quite so crazy. You know, right. you kind of write things and people wouldn't necessarily find them. <laughs> right. But I I think what's unique about your book is that it's from a different perspective than most cheese books because of your anti-establishment background and political background. So you bring the the punk perspective to the cheese world. Yeah, I mean, I think that... um I, and I think there's a lot in common with. I mean, I you know there's different aspects to the to the punk scene historically, and there's different parts of it. And I was always in the kind of more um, you know the more DIY you know mm-hmm. political end of the punk scene. And I, there's just a lot of similarity between that and um, <clears throat> and you know uh, people trying to make cheese. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I definitely found you know not an identical but a similar kind of community there mm-hmm. um, in the cheese world. Um, you know, I think I mentioned this in my book, but you know, it's like you know, I you know, in the in the in the eighties and early nineties, I was like sleeping on my friends' floors, you know, and going to punk shows or doing political organizing. And in the, in the uh, um, late nineties, early two thousands, I was you know sleeping on the cheesemakers' floors. Right. <laughs> so it's just more of the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, do, I definitely think there's similarity. And what what really fascinated me, you know, I mean, I work, I live and work in San Francisco, and I grew up in the Bay Area, so I've really you know, lived um, in this kind of California, North Bay um, environment my whole life. And what I really found fascinating um, with uh, with working with cheese was was really, you know, having relationships with um, with people who weren't in that kind of urban um, mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I felt like I just learned so much uh, and a lot of, you know, uh, you know, a lot of stupid preconceptions I had. You, know, you just grow up and, you, you know, you don't really know people in other places. You know, right. I really really learned a lot, um, and I really, you know, um, really appreciate that part of what I do. Mm-hmm. That it takes you out of your normal, your normal, take, normal day to day. It takes me out of the Bay Area bubble, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it, and it also, like, you know, it's, it, you know, it's real. It's real when, you know, you get, um, you know, a local cheesemaker calls you up and is like, he knows his work. We're a co-op, and so you know we tend to pay our bills on time mm-hmm. <laughs> really fast. Um, you know, ask anybody. Co-ops pay their bills really quickly, and um, and uh, you know, so we'll get a call occasionally from you know a local farmer or something and be like, hey, can I send you an order direct? Um, because they know they'll get payment, you know, in seven days, uh-huh. and they can use that money, you know, to pay the mortgage, you uh-huh. know, and and um, and I mean that's just one example, and I, I don't necessarily want to put that out there as a service we offer. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> will be calling. But um, but you know it's uh, but 
you know, being able to do that kind of real support um, for farmers is is just really it's a really incredible part of of working in cheese. Mm-hmm. Now, when back when you were writing the book, um, I presume you were working full time. Oh yes, yeah, how, definitely. How did you write it? How did you plan it? Uh, did you have deadlines? Did you have a contract beforehand? Well, you know, I. Um, I actually, I because I didn't have much um, writing credits uh, to my name. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what I decided to do was write the whole book and then try to sell it because okay. I didn't honestly think anybody would give me the benefit of the doubt um, okay. for uh, me being able to complete um, the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had an outline in my head. I had an idea of how I wanted to do it. I wanted to do kind of. Uh, I wanted to have it be part memoir so that it would be really accessible by non-cheese people. Uh-huh. Um, I wanted to kind of go at issues, not really in a chronological way, but in a, in a kind of a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and um, uh, it basically took me about, probably took me about two and a half years working mostly on my days off in the mornings um, and then taking a couple of, uh, of vacations where, where they weren't really vacations, there were mm-hmm. vacations that I went and, and just sat in my room and wrote for, for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably in, in taking two of those kind of two-week vacations is probably when I wrote about two-thirds of the book. Okay. So, how did the how did the book change as you were writing it? Oh boy, um, I think you know a lot of things that were really. <laughs> You know, when you start out in cheese, especially when you start out, I started out, I mean, I'm almost at 20 years in the in the cheese world now. Mm-hmm. And, and um, when I started out, you know, there wasn't a lot of information out there. Mm-hmm. So I, um, a, a lot of things that my sales reps told me or that I kind of picked up um, kind of in the oral tradition, mm-hmm. um, I, I, would, I would mention them and then I'd be like, whoa, you know, I don't actually know if this is true or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it made me go back and, um, and actually look into those kind of um examples and those kind of uh, stories that I'd heard. So you had and, to research to, to make sure yeah, you were I had telling to re- the I had truth. Yeah, I some research. I just had to figure mm-hmm. out what was apocryphal stories and mm-hmm. what were actually true stories. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I couldn't tell. But um, but I realized that um, it would be very easy for me to spread misinformation unless mm-hmm. I um, researched the things that I had been taught. And, you know, uh, there's just so much more information out there about cheese now mm-hmm. than there was Back in the um, back when I started, that it's uh, that it really was good to have that kind of refresher. Right. <laughs> so I'd say it you know really improved me as a cheese buyer too. <laughs> mm. Now, did you always have the um, the two cheeses in the end of each chapter, or did someone suggest you add that? <laughs> No, that actually, that was funny. That actually was added by the, um, that was uh, like kind of a stipulation when I signed my contract. I they wanted so. some, some cheese recommendations. <laughs> I, I was kind of resisting that because I, I mean, I kind of like being, um, well, it's like me and the academics, right? It's like, right. it's like me and Paul Kinstead and, um, and, um, <clears throat> um, um, oh God, why am I blanking on this? <laughs> The, the the secret life of cheese. Oh, um, Heather Paxson. You know, we're like the people who mm-hmm. um who, who write the cheese books without pictures. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> and, the academic and I kind of cheese. Was, I was kind of into that. Um, mm-hmm. I the first um I wrote the book and the first person I approached about selling it. Um, you know, the, the response back I got, it wasn't really a good fit. It was kind of, I had this personal connection, so I just thought I'd go for it. Uh-huh. Um, and the response that I got back was like, well, let's cut out all the um, stories and put in a bunch of pictures and make it a coffee table book. Oh, <laughs> that was not what and, you um, had in mind. Yeah, I just wasn't really interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so, so, yeah. <laughs> so I kind of left out that stuff that I think was a really good addition to the book, to be honest, but I kind of... Was, um, you resisted. Was feeling, uh, you resisted. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, I assumed that almost because it's just 
it's in different type, and it's just affixed to each <laughs> chapter. <laughs> Though you can hear your voice in it. You can definitely hear your voice in the descriptions, and they are right. mentioned usually in the chapter. But it was like, hmm, where'd these come from? <laughs> I but I actually do think it was a good addition, and I do think it makes it um, it made it even more accessible, which right. really was right. the goal. And so I I, I definitely support that. But I, it, the fact that it didn't even occur to me just um, was kind of kind of where I was at when uh-huh. I was writing the book. And and I don't know if you know this, but I actually sold the book twice. Oh, um, I, I sold the book to a company that then during the economic recession. I, I, I guess I shouldn't say they went out of business because mm-hmm. I think they still exist in some form, mm-hmm. but they um, they stopped putting out books. And um, and then you had to sell it to again. The next, uh, uh, sorry. And then you had to sell it all over again. Yeah. Well, my book was in limbo for about almost a full year, ah. um, where it was done but not printed, and I wasn't. I never got paid for that contract I signed. <laughs> and, right. Um, and uh, you know it. Um, you know, finally, luckily, I had an agent, and my agent was able to uh, to get my rights back, so I could resell it um, to Chelsea Green, which was a Chelsea Green was a much better fit anyway. And yeah. uh, Chelsea Green really seems to be the place that's you know putting out um, you know really interesting cheese books yes. these days. So yes. I'm really and, happy. And I interesting ended up there. It was, it was farm all for books, the better. farm <laughs> books, food books. They're kind of absolutely you know, and and politically, they seem to be somewhat like minded also. Right, you know, and they're they're actually uh, um, a worker-owned company now. They're, they're not a they're not a co-op, but they're um, they're they're worker-owned. Uh, they just kind of switched their um, their structure, so it's really great to to you know be together with them in that in that way. Great. Um, now, how has having published this book changed your life? Well, um, you know, kind of yes and no in terms of changing my life. I mean, I get a lot of people um, who come in the store who who are like, "Oh, you're still here," uh-huh. <laughs> as if as if like um, somehow um, putting out a book on Chelsea a Green that I didn't have to work anymore. <laughs> 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 um, you know, so in that level, it's pretty much the same. You know, I'm still mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm still here like Saturday nights mucking out the coolers. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> but um, but what it, what it really has done, I don't want to downplay this. I mean, it's just. Um, it's been great. I mean, I think the the reception I've gotten, especially from um, from store level cheese mm-hmm. workers, mm-hmm. Um, has been tremendous, and mm-hmm. it just makes me um, so happy that I could, you know, put something out there that that other cheese workers, especially people who work work the floor, you right. know, like me, mm-hmm. um, really appreciate. And that's to me that that's really the most special thing about it. Mm-hmm. I really, really, really appreciate that. I really, really appreciate the support I've gotten from people who've read it. Mm-hmm. Have you felt any like infringement on your privacy? <laughs> well, you know, it's um most people who write books don't um work on the retail floor at very specific hours every <laughs> every week. So, um there there've been a couple of issues, but mm-hmm. um <laughs> overall it's been pretty okay. Right, have any of the have any of the bad <laughs> you know, shoppers somebody, somebody, spotted uh, themselves in your and and come confronted you? Any of the bad shoppers? <laughs> no, no, no. They, they, no. Those, those the bad shoppers. I wasn't worried about that because I, I, I fictionalized um, their their um, appearances oh, okay. enough. That was the only thing that was like <laughs> at all fictionalized in the book. Was like I didn't want like somebody to be like, "Hey, that's me." Uh-huh. <laughs> the stories are all true, but the uh, the like appearances and things like that are a little changed. But the um, but no, it was more like. Um, there was a couple of different things. Mostly it was really positive. Mostly people were really supportive and be like, hey, I like the book. The book's awesome. You know, thank Mm -hmm. you for writing it. Um, But occasionally there was a couple of people who were just like, I have some issues with the book. I want to tell you why I don't Mm -hmm. think this is right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
you know, I don't think most most other um, published writers have to deal with that. Like, especially in a retail setting where, you know, that's not really the the mode of um, communication. Mm-hmm. Is um, you know, um, <laughs> that kind of direct um, um, exchange um, of, uh, <laughs> of ideas of uh, political ideas or whatever. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> uh-huh. What was the most fun about writing the book? What what parts were the most fun to write? Um, you know. I guess you know it's it's funny it's, it's I get great satisfaction from writing but I'm not necessarily sure fun like mm-hmm. really. okay. <laughs> was, okay was was the main adjective I'd use for it I mean I think that um I, I think that when I would write something and and read it back the next day and be like oh yeah <laughs> you know oh. that's that's what I meant to say I mean you know that's a very kind of um, so the satisfaction uh, narcissistic mm-hmm. like way to look at it it's like uh-huh. you know it's it's um. I really appreciated that I felt like I could put um, I could put on paper what uh, a lot of people I knew um, who work in cheese, you know, were thinking mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I really that was my favorite part about it, feeling mm-hmm. like I, I didn't write it necessarily to represent other people besides myself, but I was hoping that other people would appreciate it. And I think that that was that that was definitely the most fun and satisfying things when you know I'd, I'd show like my coworkers like some part of it and they'd be like oh yeah that's great you know and mm-hmm. and, and I really felt like I was on the right track mm-hmm. I'd say mm-hmm. what were the hardest parts did uh, did you save some parts for last you know um it wasn't so much that I that parts of it were hard I don't think as much as keeping the faith that I could do it mm-hmm. um you know cuz you know going from you know, the longest thing I'd ever have had published before, you know, was probably, you know, a couple thousand words. Mm-hmm. Going from that to writing something that's like 250 pages um, with no contract is definitely yeah. a leap of faith, <laughs> you know. Very and, much um, so. Um, and I, it was re- there was definitely times when, um, you know, self-doubt would creep yeah. in and I'd be like, you know, oh, am I, am I just fooling myself? Is anybody when I going to read this or right. does anybody want to publish this? And, and um, I just kind of kept going because I really felt like, uh, you know, I kind of had to, had to say it, you know, uh-huh. I had to write it one uh-huh. way or another. You know, now, so. wh- what kind of student were you, may I ask? Like, was writing papers <laughs> I, I was your strong student. point? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, you know, I, uh, were you an English I was, major? In high school, I was on the school paper. Oh, okay, um, good. And we had a very, you know, um, you know, we're in the Bay Area and everything like that. Mm-hmm. We had a very, like, we had you know, our journalism teachers were like, yeah, let's get the school administration. So mm-hmm. it was definitely like... Oh, okay. Um, right up your alley. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it, really, really helped, it helped form mm-hmm. um, I me. Mean, they were really great writing teachers. They really taught me a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would say that my high school journalism teachers probably taught me the most about writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but after... Um, Have you, you know, sent them I a book? Finished, uh, sorry? You should send them a book. Oh yeah, no, I've 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 communicated with them since <laughs> when it came out. They must be very there, proud. There was, a, there was a high school. Uh, the, um, I went to a high school called Redwood um, mm-hmm. because you know I'm from California, and um, <laughs> the uh, high school newspaper was called the Bark, so uh-huh. the Redwood oh. Bark, right? And um, and there there was actually a reunion, um, which there hadn't been before, but that happened right right around the time the book was coming out. So that was a really nice nice thing to to thank my. Uh, my journalism teachers. Oh, great, great. Okay, we're going to take a break. Okay. Uh, we'll be back in a few moments with Gordon Edgar and on Cutting the Curd discussing Cheesemonger, A Life on the Wedge.
Today's program has been brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm. Spanning the rolling hills of Vermont's Champlain Valley and easternmost Washington County, New York, 300-acre Consider Bardwell Farm was the first cheese-making co-op in Vermont founded in 1864 by Consider Stebbins Bardwell himself. Rotational grazing on pesticide-free and fertilizer-free pastures produces the sweetest milk and the tastiest cheese. All of their cheeses are aged on the farm in their extensive system of caves. Consider Bardwell Farm is also a big supporter of Heritage Foods USA's No Goat Left Behind program. No Goat Left Behind is a serious effort launched in 2011 by Heritage Foods USA designed to introduce goat meat to American diners and provide a sustainable end market for dairy animals. For more information, please visit www.considerbardwellfarm.com. Hi, Gordon. We're back. I'm back, too. Oh, good, good. <laughs> so anyway, so I said before, I think what makes your book so special is your outside the mainstream perspective, how you're integrating your progressive politics into both the cheese world and a grocery store, albeit a worker collective. Could you imagine having started cheesemongering at a more traditional store? Um, you know, that's a great question. I mean, um, you know, it's funny because how I, um, came about working at Rainbow was that, you know, I'd kind of, uh, been, um, I'd been working kind of just nothing jobs. I was working at like a photo lab. I was a photographic printer and, you know, that kind of talk about a dead industry there. But Mm -hmm. the, uh, (laughs) the, uh, you know, I was was doing that is I wanted a lot of time to work on other projects, other activism, other like, um, things I was doing. Um, and one of the reasons that I wanted to work at Rainbow was because I wanted to work in, you know, what is a really large-scale experiment in, in workplace democracy. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I wanted to work here um, before I wanted to work in cheese. I mean, I got I got with the job in cheese because that's where the opening was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no, I mean, I kind of talk about this in the book a little bit, but, but I had, um, you know, I had no particular love for cheese mm-hmm. before I started working mm-hmm. in cheese. Um, and it was the exposure to it that really um, got me excited and got me um, got me excited about working in cheese mm-hmm. for, you know, the rest of my life, you mm-hmm. know. Right. Um, but I, I, I don't think what I – I wasn't looking for a job at a grocery store. I was looking for a job at um, the worker-owned cooperative. Right. Um, so I, I doubt that I would have gotten my start in a, in a more traditional grocery store. Right. Do you think you could ever segue to a different, more traditional environment? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not interviewing <laughs> um, I, you. you. Know, <laughs> are you offering me a job? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, not on the I mean, radio. I, I, what I love about this place is, um, you know, it's part of the community. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, you know, I see, you know, just last night I was working the closing shift last night. And, you know, it was, it was my regular shift. And I saw a bunch of people who I hadn't seen in, in a few months. And I don't know these people. Mm-hmm. You know, I just know them as customers, you know, mm-hmm. and I know, I'm like, hey, where's your daughter today? And he's like, oh, you know, my daughter's 13, she doesn't want to shop with me anymore, you know, just like those kind of conversations, mm-hmm. which, you know, it'd be really hard to, um, to, to, to leave this place, I right. mean, not just for um, the work, but just, you know, the, the community involved uh-huh. in it. Mm-hmm. I would, I, you know, I'd never say never. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm, 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 <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not actively looking for anything, right. but, yeah. um, you know. <laughs> no, I just meant, you know, sort of, is the collective nature of the store 
you know, the most important part to you? Or has cheese taken over sort of now you're so into cheese it doesn't matter as much? Right. No, I see what you're asking. Yeah. No, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I do love cheese mm-hmm. as well. As as cooperatives, it's hard to say I love one more than a, than another. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I guess I would leave it there in terms right, of future right. things. You know, it's like it's like um, you know I love this place. I've been here twenty years. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's um it's uh it's it's a long time yeah um, to be yeah. to be in one place. Um, but you know, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, especially in uh, in this city, um, right. in San Francisco, and the the way that the um the the rents are the way that evictions happen mm-hmm. um you know if i lose my apartment uh you know mm-hmm. I, I plan on staying in the bay area i plan on staying in the city but i've seen too many of my friends have to leave the area to say that you know oh i have to work at rainbow for the rest of my life mm-hmm. <laughs> I, not to get depressing right. again i don't have right. any plans to leave right. but uh okay. <laughs> now how is how is your cheese selection in the store dictated by your particular store customers expectations and needs well, you know, it's it's interesting because we're actually one of the of the least organic parts of our okay. store in mm-hmm. terms of the food. Um, kind of us in the wine um, section, um, in beer and wine section, you know, and it's um, and it's definitely different. I mean, our produce is probably ninety five percent organic, mm-hmm. um, and there's just not that much <clears throat> variety um, of organic cheese enough to supply right. Right. kind of the 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 interested Bay Area grocery store consumer. Um, right. You know, if we had, uh, if we were limited to just organic cheese, I mean, and there are some great ones out there, but if we were limited to just that, you know, we really wouldn't have much of a cheese section mm-hmm. um, at the, at this point. Um, and, I, and I hate to say this because I think that there are a lot of people making really good organic cheese, mm-hmm. but um, but you know, organic cheese and organic wine um, are very similar in the way that. Um, <clears throat> They have a bad reputation, mm-hmm. um, and and I actually have um, customers who, w- when you know, with either of those products, organic wine or organic cheese, they'll they'll kind of be like, ah, well, it's probably not as good as the as the mm-hmm. non-organic one, okay. um, you know, if it's if it's a similar style of cheese, right? Um, Even though they're purposely in your grocery store looking it, it, for exactly. your other products. I mean, I mean, there's a level of craft. I mean, we all know mm-hmm. this. We're cheese mm-hmm. people here, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. a level of craft, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, in terms of making and aging, especially an aged cheese, mm-hmm. um, that is not quite the same as, um, and not that there isn't, <laughs> not that there isn't skill involved in growing organic apples or something like mm-hmm. that. But you know, it's not. You know, cheese obviously is not a raw ingredient. It's a, you right. know, it's a formed ingredient. So it's, right. it, or it's, um, <clears throat> you know, it's it's just a different level of things, and I'm not sure. Um, um, there, there are enough. I, I, I would love there to be more um, very skilled organic cheesemakers. Right. And again, I'm not putting down the ones that exist. Mm-hmm. Well, um, organic that, doesn't mean anything about taste necessarily. Well, no, and and um, you know the you know for the most part, the organic dairy um, industry is making commodity style cheeses. Right. Um, I mean, they're making you know jacks, cheddars, and you know that's great. Mm-hmm. And you know those those have a big part of our um, um, market in the store because mm-hmm. um, those are those have gotten to the place where they're they're comparable mm-hmm. um, flavor wise right. um, in, in that commodity style. Um, but you know, and we, you know, and we carry, you know, we carry a Parmigiano Reggiano, and we carry mm-hmm. an organic Parmigiano Reggiano. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know, I will tell you straight up that the uh, that the non-organic one um, is a better cheese. You know, mm-hmm. um, so mm-hmm. it's, that's a little tough. Right. You know, that's a that's right. a tough conversation with mm-hmm. with some with some um, people customers. Mm-hmm. Now, what about animal rennet? Is that a big a bigger issue in your grocery store because there's no meat and no fish? Correct. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's it's funny because um, the I don't know if it was intentional or not. This was way before my time here, um, but um, for whatever reason, um, the 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 original founders of the store decided that that they would make an exception for animal rennet um, mm-hmm. in the store. Um, and yeah, we're, you're right. We don't carry meat or fish. We carry um, we have we have rennet in the cheese. We have gelatin capsules, mm-hmm. and we have um, pet food. You know, okay. those are the only okay. <laughs> those are the only like animal. Um, dead animal products in the store, okay. and um, and uh, you know, so it's it's there's no real um, push to like make us stop carrying cheeses with animal mm-hmm. rennet. Uh, thankfully, um, do you? But mark it definitely them? is something that we we have to be very on top of for customers mm-hmm. and know what kind of rennet right. we have because you, there's definitely some strict vegetarians. Right? Do you separate it in the case? No, but everything's labeled. Okay. Okay. And would you say do you, do you know offhand if you have a higher percentage of vegetarian rennet than a you know a routine store? Um, probably than a than a routine store. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's funny because I mean, I really think we've seen um, in the cheese world a, a huge shift um, towards using traditional animal rennet mm-hmm. um, amongst the small you know artisan cheesemakers mm-hmm. um, over the last few years, and that really I don't believe that, I mean, that is not my experience that that was the case 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but now it seems like every great new cheese coming up, um, almost every one of them is using animal rennet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, we're kind of reflecting that in that, you know, we're looking for really high quality cheese, you know, and um, and I think that, you know, it's been demonstrated to me that certain cheeses will taste better with animal rennet, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. Um, another part of the book that I loved is when you were talking about going to cheesemakers and aging rooms, and you said that walking into an aging room feels like church. <laughs> well, um, you know, what do I know about church, really? <laughs> <laughs> but I understood what you meant. It's, there's a, there's a, I mean, do you, what other selling professions engender the type of enthusiasm that we have in the cheese world, do you think? Boy, I don't know. I mean, I you know that the thing that this is slightly off off topic, but I think it's the same thing. You know, it what really struck me. Um, you know, when I first started going to to like cheese events, you know, mm-hmm. the, the American Cheese Society conference, things like that. You know, I it was really alienating to me. Like, I did not. That was not like I wasn't necessarily choosing to be part of that world. I didn't uh-huh. know anybody there. Uh-huh. I didn't know what it would be like. I thought it would be a lot more just like, you know, people trying to sell me stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And once I realized, like, what a community it was and what a, um, you know, a community of mutual aid, which mm-hmm. always appeals to me. I mean, people are really trying to help each other for the most part mm-hmm. um, and realizing that, you know, we get along, we all get along better if we all help each other a little bit. Um, so I would say that that the cheese the cheese world is special, mm-hmm. um, and it's and it and I agree that there's something, um, you know, like I was writing about going to the aging rooms and things like that. There's something about it that lends itself to like, wow, we're doing something special. We're doing something um, important, mm-hmm. um, and not, people mm-hmm. might not understand that. Not not everybody might understand that. Probably people who listen to this radio show do, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you know, other people don't know. You know, they might right. laugh. You're like, oh, you work in cheese? That's funny, right. you know. They but um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's really is something special and you go into those aging rooms especially the first time you go and see like i mean it's been a while for me now but first time you go and see like you know um uh, a cheese that you've always eaten being made and you'd like watch the process and you smell it and you're mm-hmm. like there you're you're feeling the humidity you know you're you know, just the right. whole room is filled with that milk smell and you know i mean it's just something really it's incredible. very exciting it's very exciting yeah. it makes me feel like pinching myself i was uh <laughs> 
I was um, thinking about Heather Paxson's book, Life of Cheese, and she discusses the concept that both the creators and the consumers of new food, which is, you know, anything local, slow, organic, unprocessed, uh, we are embracing and expressing a value system. Um, do you think that's true? Do you think that's sort of more yuppie bullshit or, or also <laughs> somewhat true? I think that it is um, – I think that there's truth to it for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, I love her book. I think mm-hmm. her book is fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I didn't like about her book was that I didn't write per- certain parts of it <laughs> that she did. Because <laughs> I was reading it and going – Damn, I wish she put it so much better than me. I was trying to get that thing across. It's a hard book, but I saw um, a so lot I of comments. I, I mean, what I'm really wary of as a retailer. Um, I, uh, I'm sorry, I could, I could. Yeah. I see a lot in common in your books. You're saying oh. it a much more accessible way, and she's got yeah. her anthropological way. But there was a lot of overlap of content. Oh yeah, no, for for sure, and and you know I'm working on a next book too, and you know honestly there's some even more overlap in there, which I, oh, cool. I, 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 I was like, um, uh, you know, when I was reading the book, I was like, oh man, this, you know, oh, and then I realized, oh, I can just quote this; I don't have oh. to write it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but what I was going to say was that um, I think that um, you know, as a retailer, what I really worry about is passing on bad information to customers. Mm-hmm. So with that whole like, you know, people you know, are doing this process, um, you know, in, in order to um, to kind of live their beliefs. Um, I believe that. I believe that people definitely do that. What I'm wary of is telling customers that when it's not true. Um, and so my angle's a little different than, than, than Heather's is because I'm, um, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of a guardian of you know, the, the public trust in that way. Mm-hmm. You, know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I'm selling a cheese, I, I do want to know you know, I'm not necessarily going to, like, you know, talk down a cheese because it's a larger production cheese or whatever, but I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be selling something like, oh, this is the terroir of of, mm-hmm. of this area when they're buying, you know, frozen curds from right, all right. over the world. Right. You know, I mean, to me, that's um, that's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what I really have to watch with that because I think that the more – people um, get into this cheese world as a way to to live those beliefs, the more there will also be people trying to take advantage of that to sell things that aren't that. Right, right. That's true. That's true. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Gordon Edgar, author of Cheesemonger, A Life on the Wedge. Uh, Can't wait to read your new book, and you can come back. Well, yeah. Well, I'm hoping to sign a contract within the next couple of weeks. So, uh, so, so, hopefully, we'll be uh, you'll be hearing about it soon. Okay, great. (laughs) This is our last Friday show of Cutting the Curd. We're moving to Mondays at 2 p.m. My next guest will be November 18th. Will be Sue Conley, author with Peg Smith of the just published Cowgirl Creamery Cooks. Thanks to the engineer Diedrich. And podcasts are available on iTunes and Stitcher. This is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. 
To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.